0: Since you've made it this far, you must be enjoying this book, and that makes me so happy. You deserve to sleep well every night, so be sure to check out the Sleepy Bookshelf premium feed, where you'll find exclusive bonus episodes. That way, you'll never run out of stories to put you to sleep. Good evening, And welcome to The Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. As usual, I'm Elizabeth, your host, and I'm so glad you are here with me. Tonight, we'll be continuing where we left off last time, with Chapter 14 of Pride and Prejudice. But before we open our book, take a moment here to recenter and relax. Start with a nice, big stretch, really drawing your attention to the muscles in your legs and back. These are such big muscles that work hard all day to support us so give them a little appreciation tonight and let them know that the day is over so they can rest now. Research has shown that when we breathe in the same way for a long period of time, our lungs become more and more inefficient. Sighing helps to reset the cycle, if you like, and in turn, delivers a sense of relief. Let's take a deep breath in. And now exhale and sigh gently. Lovely. Last time we were together, the Bennets were preparing to host a dinner for Mr. Bingley, and Mr. Darcy. Mr. Bingley appeared to have renewed his attentions for Jane, but Elizabeth was disappointed to find that Darcy couldn't have appeared less interested in spending time with her. After Darcy left for London, Bingley spent almost every day with Jane at Longbourn. As predicted proposal soon followed. One morning, the women of Longbourn were caught off guard by a surprise visit from the great Lady Catherine de Bourgh. On a tour of the gardens, Lady Catherine told Elizabeth she had heard news of her being engaged to Mr. Darcy and had travelled all the way from Kent to To express her severe disapprobation. And that is where we pick our story back up tonight, with Lady Catherine and Elizabeth in the copse of trees at Longbourn, and the older woman's extremely rude application to Elizabeth not to marry her nephew. Chapter Fourteen Continued Obstinate, headstrong girl, I am ashamed of you, cried Lady Catherine. Is this your gratitude for my attentions to you last spring? Is nothing due to me on that score? Let us sit down. You are to understand, Miss Bennet that I came here with the determined resolution of carrying my purpose, nor will I be dissuaded from it. I have not been used to submit to any person's whims. I have not been in the habit of broking disappointment. That will make your ladyship's situation at present more pitiable, but it will have no effect on me said Elizabeth. I will not be interrupted. Hear me in silence, said Lady Catherine. My daughter and my nephew, Mr. Darcy, are formed for each other. They are descended on the maternal side, from the same noble line, and on the father's from respectable honorable, and ancient, though untitled, families. Their fortune on both sides is splendid. They are destined for each other by the voice of every member of their respective houses. And what is to divide them? The upstart pretensions of a young woman without family, connections, or fortune is this to be endured it must not shall not be if you were sensible of your own good you would not wish to quit the sphere in which you have been brought up in marrying your nephew i should not consider myself as quitting that sphere said elizabeth he is a gentleman I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. True, you are a gentleman's daughter, Lady Catherine returned. But who was your mother? Who were your uncles and aunts? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. Whatever my connections may be, said Elizabeth. If your nephew does not object to them, they can be nothing to you. Tell me once and for all, are you engaged to him? asked Lady Catherine. Though Elizabeth would not, for the mere purpose of obliging Lady Catherine, have answered this question, she could not but say, After a moment's deliberation, I am not. Lady Catherine seemed pleased. And will you promise me never to enter into such an engagement? Asked her ladyship. I will make no promise of the kind, replied Elizabeth. Miss Bennet, I am shocked and astonished. I expected to find a more reasonable young woman, said Lady Catherine, but do not deceive yourself into a belief that I will ever recede. I shall not go away till you have given me the assurance I require, and I certainly never shall give it. I am not to be intimidated into anything so wholly unreasonable," Elizabeth replied. Your ladyship wants Mr. Darcy to marry your daughter, but would my giving you the wished-for promise make their marriage at all more probable? Supposing him to be attached to me, would my refusing to accept his hand Make him wish to bestow it on his cousin. Allow me to say, Lady Catherine, that the arguments with which you have supported this extraordinary application have been as frivolous as the application was ill-judged. You have widely mistaked my character if you think I can be worked on by such persuasions as these. How far your nephew might approve of your interference in his affairs, I cannot tell, but you have certainly no right to concern yourself in mine. I must beg, therefore, to be importuned no farther on the subject. Not so hasty, if you please. I have by no means finished. To all the objections I have already urged, I have still another to add said lady catherine i am no stranger to the particulars of your youngest sister's infamous elopement i know it all that the young man's marrying her was a patched up business at the expense of your father and uncles and is such a girl to be my nephew's sister, is her husband, is the son of his late father's steward to be his brother? Heaven and earth, of what are you thinking? Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? You can now have nothing farther to say. Elizabeth resentfully answered. "'You have insulted me in every possible method. I must beg to return to the house.' And she rose as she spoke. Lady Catherine rose also, and they turned back. Her ladyship was highly incensed. "'You have no regard, then, for the honour and credit of my nephew, unfeeling selfish girl. Do you not consider that a connection with you must disgrace him in the eyes of everybody? Lady Catherine, I have nothing farther to say, replied Elizabeth. You know my sentiments. You are then resolved to have him? asked her ladyship. I have said no such thing," Elizabeth returned. I am only resolved to act in that manner which will, in my own opinion, constitute my happiness, without reference to you or to any person so wholly unconnected with me. It is well. You refuse then to oblige me," said Lady Catherine. You refuse to obey the claims of duty, honor, and gratitude. You are determined to ruin him in the opinion of all his friends and make him the contempt of the world. Neither duty, nor honor, nor gratitude, replied Elizabeth, have any possible claim on me in the present instance. No principle of either would be violated by marriage with Mr. Darcy. And with regard to the resentment of his family or the indignation of the world, if the former were excited by his marrying me, it would not give me one moment's concern. And the world in general would have too much sense to join in the scorn. And is this your real opinion? This is your final resolve. Very well. I shall now know how to act, said Lady Catherine. Do not imagine, Miss Bennet, that your ambition will ever be gratified. I came to try you. I hoped. To find you reasonable but depend upon it i will carry my point in this manner lady catherine talked on till they were at the door of the carriage when turning hastily round she added i take no leave of you miss bennett i send no compliments to your mother You deserve no such attention. I am most seriously displeased. Elizabeth made no answer, and without attempting to persuade her ladyship to return into the house, walked quietly into it herself. She heard the carriage drive away as she proceeded upstairs. Her mother impatiently met her at the door of the dressing room to ask why Lady Catherine would not come in again and dressed herself. "'She did not choose it,' said her daughter. "'She would go.' "'She is a very fine-looking woman,' said Mrs. Bennet. "'And her calling here was prodigiously civil.' For she only came, I suppose, to tell us the Collinses were well. She's on her road somewhere, I dare say. And so, passing through Meryton, thought she might as well call on you. I suppose she had nothing particular to say to you, Lizzie? Elizabeth was forced to give in to a little falsehood here, for to acknowledge the substance of their conversation was impossible. Chapter 15 The discomposure of spirits which this extraordinary visit threw Elizabeth into could not be easily overcome, nor could she, for many hours, learn to think of it less than incessantly. Lady Catherine, it appeared, had actually taken the trouble of this journey from Rosings for the sole purpose of breaking off her supposed engagement with Mr. Darcy. It was a rational scheme, to be sure, but from what the report of their engagement could originate, Elizabeth was at a loss to imagine. Till she recollected that his Being the intimate friend of Bingley, and her being the sister of Jane, was enough to supply the idea, at a time when the expectation of one wedding made everybody eager for another. She had not herself forgotten to feel that the marriage of her sister must bring them more frequently together and her neighbours at Lucas Lodge, therefore, for through their communication with the Collinses, the report, she concluded, had reached Lady Catherine, had only set that down as almost certain and immediate, which she had looked forward to as possible at some future time. In revolving Lady Catherine's expressions, however, she could not help feeling some uneasiness as to the possible consequence of her persisting in this interference. From what she had said of her resolution to prevent their marriage, it occurred to Elizabeth that she must mediate an application to her nephew, and how he might take a similar representation of the evils attached to a connection with her she dared not pronounce. She knew not the exact degree of his affection for his aunt, or his dependence on her judgment, but it was natural to suppose that he thought much higher of her ladyship than she could do. And it was certain that in enumerating the miseries of a marriage with one whose immediate connections were so unequal to his own, his aunt would address him on his weakest side. With his notions of dignity, he would probably feel that the arguments, which to Elizabeth had appeared weak and ridiculous, contained much good sense and solid reasoning. If he had been wavering before as what he should do, which had often seemed likely, the advice and entreaty of so near a relation might settle every doubt and determine him at once to be as happy as dignity unblemished could make him. In that case, he would return no more. Lady Catherine might see him in her way through town, and his engagement to Bingley of coming again to Netherfield must give way. If, therefore, an excuse for not keeping his promise should come to his friend within a few days, she thought, I shall know how to understand it, I shall then give over every expectation, every wish of his constancy. If he is satisfied with only regretting me when he might have obtained my affections and hand, I shall soon cease to regret him at all. The surprise of the rest of the family on hearing who their visitor had been was very great but they obligingly satisfied it with the same kind of supposition which had appeased Mrs. Bennet's curiosity. And Elizabeth was spared from much teasing on the subject. The next morning, as she was going downstairs, she was met by her father, who came out of his library with a letter in his hand. Lizzie," said he, ''I was going to look for you. Come into my room.'' She followed him there, and her curiosity to know what he had to tell her was heightened by the supposition of its being, in some manner, connected with the letter he held. It suddenly struck her that it might be from Lady Catherine, and she anticipated with dismay all the consequent explanations. She followed her father to the fireplace, and they both sat down. He then said, I have received a letter this morning that has astonished me exceedingly. As it principally concerns yourself, you ought to know its contents, I did not know before that I had two daughters on the brink of matrimony. Let me congratulate you on a very important conquest." The color now rushed into Elizabeth's cheeks in the instantaneous conviction of its being a letter from the nephew instead of the aunt, and she was undetermined were the most to be pleased that he had explained himself at all, or offended that his letter was not rather addressed to herself when her father continued. You look conscious. Young ladies have great penetration in such matters as these, but I think I may defy even your insight to discover the name of your admirer. This letter is from Mr. Collins." "'From Mr. Collins? And what can he have to say?' asked Elizabeth. "'Something very much to the purpose, of course,' said Mr. Bennet. He begins with congratulations on the approaching nuptials of my eldest daughter of which it seems he has been told by some of the good-natured, gossiping Lucases. I shall not sport you with your impatience by reading what he says on that point, but what relates to yourself is as follows. Having thus offered you the sincere congratulations of Mrs. Collins and myself on this happy event, let me now add a short hint on the subject of another, of which have been advertised by the same authority. Your daughter Elizabeth, it is presumed, will not long bear the name of Bennet, after her eldest sister has resigned it, and the chosen partner of her fate may be reasonably looked up to as one of the most illustrious parsonages in this land. Can you possibly guess, Lizzie, who is meant by this?" asked her father, who then read on. The young gentleman is blessed in a particular way with everything the heart of mortal can most desire. Splendid property, noble kindred, and extensive patronage. Yet in spite of all these temptations. Let me warn my cousin Elizabeth and yourself of what evils you may incur by a precipitate closure with this gentleman's proposals, which, of course, you will be inclined to take immediate advantage of. Have you any idea, Lizzie, who this gentleman is? But now it comes out, said her father, reading on. My motive for cautioning you is as follows we have reason to imagine that his aunt lady catherine de burgh does not look on the match with a friendly eye mr darcy you see is the man said mr bennett now lizzie i think i have surprised you could he all the Lucases have pitched on any man within the circle of our acquaintance whose name would have given the lie more effectually to what they related. Mr. Darcy, who never looks at any woman but to see a blemish, and who probably never looked at you in his life. It is admirable. Elizabeth tried to join in her father's pleasantry but could only force one most reluctant smile. Never had his wit been directed in a manner so little agreeable to her. Are you not diverted? he asked. Oh, yes, said Elizabeth. Pray read on. After mentioning the likelihood of this marriage to her ladyship last night, she immediately, with her usual condescension, expressed what she felt on the occasion, when it became apparent that on the score of some family objections on the part of my cousin, she would never give her consent to what she termed so disgraceful a match. I thought it my duty to give the speediest intelligence of this to my cousin, and that she and her noble admirer may be aware of what they are about, and not run hastily into a marriage which has not been properly sanctioned." Mr. Collins, moreover, adds, I am truly rejoiced that my cousin Lydia's sad business Has been so well hushed up and am only concerned that their living together before the marriage took place should be so generally known i must not however neglect the duties of my station or refrain from declaring my amazement at hearing that you received the young couple into your house as soon as they were married it was an engagement of vice And had I been the rector of Longbourn, I should very strenuously have opposed it. You ought certainly to forgive them, but never admit them in your sight or allow their names to be mentioned in your hearing. That is his notion of forgiveness, said Mr. Bennet. The rest of his letter is only about his dear Charlotte's situation. "'and his expected, and his expectation of a young olive branch. "'But, Lizzie, you look as if you did not enjoy it. "'You are not going to pretend to be affronted at an idle report, I hope. "'For what do we live but to make sport for our neighbours "'and laugh at them in our turn?' "'Oh,' said Elizabeth, I am excessively diverted, but it is so strange. Yes, that is what makes it amusing, said her father. Had they fixed on any other man, it would have been nothing. But his perfect indifference and your pointed dislike make it so delightfully absurd much as i abominate writing i would not give up mr collins's correspondence for any consideration nay when i read a letter of his i cannot help giving him the preference even over wickham much as i value the impudence and hypocrisy of my son-in-law and pray lizzie What said Lady Catherine about this report? Did she call to refuse her consent? To this question, his daughter replied only with a laugh, and as it had been asked without the least suspicion, she was not distressed by his repeating it. Elizabeth had never been more at a loss to make her feelings appear what they were not, it was necessary to laugh when she would rather have cried. Her father had most cruelly mortified her by what he said of Mr. Darcy's indifference, and she could do nothing but wonder at such a want of penetration, or fear that perhaps instead of seeing too little, she might have fancied too much. Chapter 16 Instead of receiving any such letter of excuse from his friend, as Elizabeth half expected Mr. Bingley to do, he was able to bring Darcy with him to Longbourn before many days had passed after Lady Catherine's visit. The gentleman arrived early, And before Mrs. Bennet had time to tell him of their having seen his aunt, of which her daughter sat in momentary dread, Bingley, who wanted to be alone with Jane, proposed their all walking out. It was agreed to. Mrs. Bennet was not in the habit of walking. Mary could never spare the time but the remaining five set off together. Bingley and Jane, however, soon allowed the others to outstrip them. They lagged behind, while Elizabeth, Kitty and Darcy were to entertain each other. Very little was said by either. Kitty was too much afraid of Darcy to talk. Elizabeth was secretly forming a desperate resolution, and perhaps he might be doing the same. They walked towards the Lucases because Kitty wished to call upon Mariah, and as Elizabeth saw no occasion for making it a general concern, when Kitty left them, she went boldly on with him alone. Now was the moment for her resolution to be executed, and while her courage was high, she immediately said, Mr. Darcy, I'm a very selfish creature, and for the sake of giving relief to my own feelings, care not how much I may be wounding yours. I can no longer help thanking you for your unexampled kindness to my poor sister. Ever since I have known it, I have been most anxious to acknowledge to you how gratefully I feel it. Were it known to the rest of my family, I should not have merely my own gratitude to express. I am sorry, exceedingly sorry, replied Darcy in a tone of surprise and emotion, that you have ever been informed of what may, in a mistaken light, have given you uneasiness. I did not think Mrs. Gardner was so little to be trusted." "'You must not blame my aunt,' said Elizabeth. Lydia's thoughtlessness first betrayed me that you had been concerned in the matter and of course, I could not rest till I knew the particulars. Let me thank you again, and again in the name of all my family, for that generous compassion which induced you to take so much trouble and bear so many mortifications for the sake of discovering them. If you will thank me, he replied. Let it be for yourself alone, that the wish of giving happiness to you might add force to the other inducements which led me on. I shall not attempt to deny, but your family owe me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I thought only of you." Elizabeth was too much embarrassed to say a word. After a short pause, Darcy added, You are too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. Elizabeth, feeling all the more than common awkwardness, and anxiety of his situation, now forced herself to speak, and immediately, though not very fluently, she gave him to understand that her sentiments had undergone so material a change since the period to which he alluded as to make her receive with gratitude and pleasure his present assurances. The happiness which this reply produced was such as he had probably never felt before, and he expressed himself on the occasion as sensibly and as warmly as a man violently in love can be supposed to do. Had Elizabeth been able to encounter his eye, she might have seen how well the expression of heartfelt delight, diffused over his face, became him. But though she could not look, she could listen, and he told her of his feelings, which, in proving of what importance she was to him, made his affection every moment more valuable. They walked on, without knowing in what direction. There was too much to be thought and felt and said for any attention to any other objects. She soon learned that they were indebted for their present good understanding to the efforts of his aunt who did call on him in her return through London. And there, she related her journey to Longbourn, its motive, and the substance of her conversation with Elizabeth, dwelling emphatically on every expression of the latter, which, in her ladyship's apprehension, peculiarly denoted her perverseness and assurance in the belief that such a relation must assist her endeavors to obtain that promise from her nephew, which Elizabeth had refused to give. But, unluckily for her ladyship, its effect had been exactly the opposite. It taught me to hope, said he, as I had scarcely ever allowed myself to hope before. I knew enough of your disposition to be certain that had you been absolutely, irrevocably decided against me, you would have acknowledged it to Lady Catherine, frankly and openly. Elizabeth blushed and laughed as she replied, Yes. You know enough of my frankness to believe me capable of that. After abusing you so abominably to your face, I could have no scruple in abusing you to all your relations. Oh, what did you say of me that I did not deserve? said Darcy. For though your accusations were ill founded, formed on mistaken premises, My behavior to you at the time had merited the severest reproof. It was unpardonable. I cannot think of it without abhorrence. We will not quarrel for the greater share of blame annexed to that evening, said Elizabeth. The conduct of neither, if strictly examined, will be irreproachable. But since then... We have both, I hope, improved in civility. I cannot be so easily reconciled to myself. The recollection of what I then said, of my conduct, my manners, my expressions during the whole of it, is now and has been many months inexpressibly painful to me, said Darcy. Your reproof, so well applied, I shall never forget. Had you behaved in a more gentleman-like manner? Those were your words. You know not that you can scarcely conceive how they have tortured me, though it was some time, I confess, before I was reasonable enough to allow their justice. I was certainly very far from expecting them to make so strong an impression," said Elizabeth. I had not the smallest idea of their ever being felt in such a way. I can easily believe it," replied Darcy. You thought me then devoid of every proper feeling. I'm sure you did. The turn of your countenance I shall never forget as you said that I could not have addressed you in any possible way that would induce you to accept me. Oh, do not repeat what I then said, Elizabeth replied. These recollections will not do at all. I assure you that I have been most heartily ashamed of it. Darcy mentioned his letter. Did it said he did it soon make you think better of me did you on reading it give any credit to its contents she explained what its effect on her had been and how gradually all her former prejudices had been removed I knew said he that what I wrote must give you pain, but it was necessary. I hope you have destroyed the letter. There was one part especially, the opening of it, which I should dread your having the power of reading again. I can remember some expressions which might justly make you hate me. The letter shall certainly be burnt if you believe it essential to the preservation of my regard, said Elizabeth. But though we have both reason to think my opinions not entirely unalterable, they are not, I hope, quite so easily changed as that implies. When I wrote that letter, replied Darcy, I believed myself perfectly calm and cool, Time since convinced that it was written in a dreadful bitterness of spirit. The letter perhaps began in bitterness, but it did not end so. The adieu is charity itself, said Elizabeth. But think no more on the letter. The feelings of the person who wrote and the person who received it are now so widely different from what they were then, that every unpleasant circumstance attending it ought to be forgotten. You must learn some of my philosophy. Think only of the past, as its remembrance gives you pleasure. I cannot give you credit for any philosophy of the kind," said Darcy. Your retrospections must be so totally void of reproach that the contentment arising from them is not of philosophy, but what is much better, of ignorance. But with me it is not so. Painful recollections will intrude, which cannot, which ought not to be repelled. I have been a selfish being all my life, in practice, though not in principle. As a child, I was taught what was right, but I was not taught to correct my temper. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit. Unfortunately, an only son, for many years an only child, I was spoilt by my parents, who though good themselves, my father particularly, all that was benevolent and amiable, allowed and encouraged, almost taught me to be selfish and overbearing, to care for none beyond my own family circle, to think meanly of all the rest of the world, to wish, at least, to think meanly of their sense and worth compared to my own. Such I was, from eight to eight and twenty, and such I might still have been but for you, dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. What do I not owe you? You taught me a lesson, hard indeed at first, but most advantageous. By you, I was properly humbled. I came to you without a doubt of my reception. You showed me how insufficient were all my pretensions to please a woman worthy of being pleased. Had you then persuaded yourself that I should? asked she. Indeed I had, replied he what will you think of my vanity i believed you to be wishing expecting my addresses my manners must have been in fault but not intentionally i assure you said elizabeth i never meant to deceive you but my spirits might often lead me wrong how you must have hated me after that evening Hate you, said Darcy. I was angry, perhaps, at first, but my anger soon began to take a proper direction. I am almost afraid of asking what you thought of me when we met at Pemberley. You blamed me for coming? asked Elizabeth. No, indeed, I felt nothing but surprise answered Darcy. Your surprise could not be greater than mine in being noticed by you, said Elizabeth. My conscience told me that I deserved no extraordinary politeness, and I confess that I did not expect to receive more than my due. My object then, replied Darcy was to show you, by every civility in my power, that I was not so mean as to resent the past, and I hoped to obtain your forgiveness, to lessen your ill opinion, by letting you see that your reproofs had been attended to. How soon any other wishes introduced themselves, I can hardly tell, but I believe in about half an hour, after I had seen you. He then told her of Georgiana's delight in her acquaintance and of her disappointment at its sudden interruption, which naturally leading to the cause of that interruption. She soon learned that his resolution of following her from Derbyshire in quest of her sister had been formed before he quitted the inn and that his gravity and thoughtfulness there had arisen from no other struggles than what such a purpose must comprehend. She expressed her gratitude again, but it was too painful a subject to each to be dwelt on farther. After walking several miles in a leisurely manner, and too busy to know anything about it, They found, at last, on examining their watches, that it was time to be at home. What could become of Mr. Bingley and Jane was a wonder which introduced the discussion of their affairs. Darcy was delighted with their engagement. His friend had given him the earliest information of it. I must ask whether you were surprised. Said Elizabeth. Not at all, said Darcy. When I went away, I felt that it would soon happen. That is to say, you had given your permission? I guessed as much, said Elizabeth. And though he exclaimed at the time, she found that it had been pretty much the case. On the evening before my going to London, said he, I made a confession to him, which I believe I ought to have made long ago. I told him of all that had occurred to make my former interference in his affairs absurd and impertinent. His surprise was great. He had never had the slightest suspicion. I told him moreover, that I believed myself mistaken in supposing, as I had done, that your sister was indifferent to him, and as I could easily perceive that his attachment to her was unabated, I felt no doubt of their happiness together. Elizabeth could not help smiling at his easy manner of directing his friend. Did you speak from your own observation, said she, when you told him that my sister loved him, or merely from my information last spring? From the former, he replied. I had narrowly observed her during the two visits which I had lately made her here, and was convinced of her affection. And your assurance of it, I suppose carried immediate conviction to him, she said. It did, replied Darcy. Bingley is most unaffectedly modest. His diffidence had prevented his depending on his own judgment in so anxious a case, but his reliance on mine made everything easy. I was obliged to confess one thing, Which, for a time, and not unjustly offended him, I could not allow myself to consider that your sister had been in town three months last winter, that I had known it, and purposely kept it from him. He was angry, but his anger, I am persuaded, lasted no longer than he remained in any doubt of your sister's sentiments he has heartily forgiven me now. Elizabeth longed to observe that Mr. Bingley had been a most delightful friend, so easily guided that his worth was invaluable. But she checked herself. She remembered that Darcy had yet to learn to be laughed at, and it was rather too early to begin. In anticipating the happiness of Bingley, which, of course, was to be inferior only to his own, Darcy continued the conversation till they reached the house. In the hall, they parted. Thank you.